open to the 23rd chapter, beginning at verse 44. Jesus is on the cross. He speaks his final words just before his death. By this time, it was about noon. And darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. Suddenly, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then, everybody shout then. Jesus shouted. Come on, say shout it. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hand. And with those words, he breathed his last. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. God, we're asking you to do something special in each of our lives today, including one teaching. And we'll give you the credit because at the end of the day, it's, it's you that's doing it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today is the... Uh, Seventh week of our seven-week series, which we have uh, entitled, When Life Disappoints. Essentially, uh, we have been uh, looking closely at the question, how does one live and grow through some of life's greatest disappointments? And uh, either you have already lived through some pretty horrendous disappointments or at this very moment you are living through some horrendous disappointments if you don't fit either of those two categories don't worry about it I promise you keep living tell the person next to you keep living there is a horrendous disappointment just with your name on it So, for the last six weeks, we've tried to give you some insight. And here's how I want to frame it this morning. I'm going to do a quick review, because here, and here's how I want you to think about it. And I want you, everybody shout steps, steps. shout seasons. seasons, two different lenses through which we can look at what, the, what we've taught over the course of the last six weeks. And of course, you can go to our website, pick up any of these messages or all of these messages, and share them with people that you think uh, it will be helpful. So as we looked at the seven last words of Jesus, or statements that he spoke from the cross as he endured perhaps life's greatest disappointment through his crucifixion, we've learned uh, six things. The first thing we've learned is that if you're going to survive and grow through disappointment, you have to be able to own and acknowledge your pain. That's the first thing. The second thing we learned uh, is that while you own it and acknowledge it, you cannot be consumed by it. So in order not to be consumed by it, you have to uh, be proactive with caring for and about others, and you have to allow others to care for yourself. The third thing uh, we learned uh, is that you've got to lock in on your mission, lock in on your purpose. When Disappointment comes, it tends to sweep you, pull the rug out from under your feet. So you got to lock in on what your sense of purpose is and adjust your expectations because 
there's one thing that disappointment will teach us. It is this. Uh, there's no aspect of life, no human being who can fully satisfy our greatest desires. At the end of the day, only God can fully reach us on the deep parts of our souls. And even God doesn't do everything we want God to do. Tell somebody, you got to adjust your expectations. And then we learn that if you're going to survive and grow through disappointment, you've got to be able to lean in on your faith. That, that there is some, some power that comes from the, the knowledge of knowing that in Jesus Christ, God freed us to live a life where we are certain that we can live beyond shame, live without guilt, live in the presence of unconditional love. And you've got to lay claim to that as you're working through disappointment. The fifth thing we learn is that if you're going to work through disappointment, you've got to know how to forgive. And you've got to know how to forgive others who have wounded you. You've got to do that work. And you've got to know how to forgive yourselves. Sometimes it's easier to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. And oftentimes the reverse is true as well. Because it's difficult for us to forgive ourselves, it's hard for us to forgive others. And so lastly today on the seventh insight that we learn is that if you're going to survive and grow through disappointment, even if you do all six of these things, there still remains one that you have to do in order to make sure that you maximize the moment. And that is you're not finished until you learn how to surrender. Surrender. Shout surrender. 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 Now, uh, I, I use the word steps and seasons. Everybody shout steps. All right, here's the deal. I want you, when you, when you finish today, you go, go, you're going to think about these different insights. You can think about them as steps, steps that I can strategically, strategically work through. And for some of us, it won't happen in this sequence. For somebody, uh, you may have already acknowledged and owned your pain. You may have already uh, locked in your mission. Your work may start at the point of forgiving. And so that, that may be where you start your work at. But as you start working on forgiving others, you may find that the first thing you have to do is to acknowledge and own your own pain. So you may start there. For somebody else, you actually may start at the point of locking in on your mission. But when you lock in on your mission, you may discover, you know what, I've got to really focus on caring about and caring for others. So there's no sequence here. This is really a roadmap, a kind of a GPS, if you will, kind of help you to figure out where am I in the process? What's the next step I need to take? Now, for some of us, steps is not the best word. Seasons. Everybody shout seasons. Seasons is a better word to work through this process that was just laid out. Because the fact of the matter is, for example, working through forgiving someone who's deeply wounded us, it may take more than days or weeks. It actually may take some months. It may take three months or four months or six months to actually do the work with 
counselors and therapists and pastors and friends and writing to do the work before you get to a place of peace. And, and so you're in a season. That's the season that you're in. You're working through the, this notion of forgiving. Or you're in a season where you're trying to learn how to own your pain and acknowledge it. You know, you're, 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 you're trying to free yourself so you can actually say to people who, who you trust, you know what? I'm not all right, but I'll be okay. Shout seasons. So you may, so uh, again, just realize where you are. Don't put a lot of pressure on yourself, but by all means, keep working. And invite Jesus into that process because you can't do it by yourself and invite others. Now, that's, that's how this works. That's how this works. I wanted to make sure I help you to get that shape before we get rolling. Now, let's talk about uh, surrender. Surrender is the step that we have to take if we are to move forward. Let's go to this text. I like this particular passage as it comes to a, a head because of how it's shaped. It says, uh, by now, meaning uh, around 12 noon, from 12 noon to 3, it says that darkness fell across the whole land. I particularly like verse 45. It says, and the light from the sun was gone. I want you to notice, if you got this, you're looking at your own passages, I want you to notice what it does not say. It does not say that the sun was gone. What does it say? The light from the sun was gone. Now, in this text and in a broader context, when we talk about the sun, S-U-N, uh, uh, immediately your mind goes to uh, this notion of God, God the, the creator. Uh, and God is the source of life. He's the source of light. He's the source of love. He's the source of hope. And so I like this passage because when we're in the deep valley of disappointment and heartbreak and pain, it looks like it feels like we wake up some days and it's all dark around us and, and, and it is easy for us to be convinced while we're in the middle of grief, to be convinced while we're working through a divorce, to be convinced because somebody's died that we love, to be convinced that God is not there, to be convinced that hope doesn't exist, to be convinced that there is no love for us anywhere on the planet, to be convinced uh, uh, that we're locked in this thing all by ourselves but the passage says don't buy it acknowledge it you can say I feel like God is not there I feel like there is no love for me I feel like there is no hope but when you finish saying that then you've got to come back and affirm but at the end of the day I know God is there I know Hope is there. I know love is there. And I've just got to hang in here long enough for the clouds to clear. Tell the person next to you, hang in here long enough. Hang in there long enough for the clouds to clear. Tell them. The sun is there. God's there. Never left. I love that. I love it. I love that passage. All right, now I've said to you, 
Then comes to this passage. It comes to the heart of the passage. It says, watch this. It says, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple is torn as though somebody tears it. It's torn down the middle. Well, there's two points here. One, theological, it means that at the, as Jesus finished his work, that that curtain would separate it, the unique holy of holies place from the rest of the sanctuary that only certain people could go in. That curtain has been ripped open. Tell the person next to you, say, even you can go in now. Tell them. <laughs> That's good news. Huh? Come on, man. That's good news. Come on, tell the other person, even I can go in now. Tell them. That's what Jesus' death does. This curtain signals one other thing in the text, though. It, it, it signals the end of Jesus' works. So the next verse, the next word says, then. Everybody shout, then. Then Jesus shouts. Now, actually, that's one word that covers up three Greek words. And actually, the Greek words are, 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 are very similar to this notion of, uh, of, of, of a megaphone. The word for voice is phone, and it's spelled exactly like P-H-O-N-E with some, with some special little digits over it. Uh, and that's, that's, that's in the Greek, right? But, but, but it's spelled just like phone. And then, 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 then there's a Greek word that reminds us of this notion of mega. And so in a sense, you could translate this to say, Jesus with a megaphone. Said, Father, he wants all of history to hear him. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Tell the person next to you, you've got to learn how to surrender. I'm going to tell you a story. When uh, last summer, my family, for the last three weeks, we've got three years in the summertime, we've gone to Mount Hermon for family camp. And uh, last summer, they built, they've got these three uh, kind of obstacle courses and zip linings, lining uh, that's built up high, 80 feet higher in some cases in these redwood trees. <laughs> and the biggest one, I think it's called Socorro, uh, me and, Ron, and Lauren, not Rhonda, Rhonda wouldn't, she stayed in the room, but Lauren <laughs> and my nephew, we went. They actually wanted to go, so I went with them. And it's quite an amazing thing. It's, it's like it's, you're working through all these different obstacles, kind of an obstacle course up high. Now, what I didn't realize was that this particular one, the biggest one, the end of the obstacle course, the last stage, is on a redwood tree, 80 feet high. And the only way to get down, you have the bungee jump. 
Now, I, this is the truth. For some reason, it just, I never, it just missed it. I just missed it. Even though I saw people jumping off and then your Lauren got there early and jumped and in my brain, this is just happening in my brain, in my brain, I thought it was one of those things that you jump and you know it has tension in it and it's just let you down. <laughs> because, listen, because here's what I've always said about people who bungee jump. I say, y'all crazy. <laughs> like, I'm never going to do that. That's just crazy, right? So, here I am on the stage. I mean, I don't know God must have blinded my mind or something. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I, I don't know how to explain it. But I'm on the stage and, and they, they put me in the little stuff here and hook me. And then I realize, wait a moment. <laughs> this is a bungee jump. <laughs> And the, the lady working with me, she says, yes. And, and uh, I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> now, wait, wait here's what's, here. now, what's the point? This is the important point. She says to me, she says, this is the only way, listen, to go forward. That if I was going to go forward and complete the track. I had to surrender. <laughs> I said, I'm going back that way. <laughs> and then she asked me a question. She said, what? She said, wait. <laughs> she said, you can do it. She said, you, you can go back. She said, but isn't it, I mean, how would you feel knowing that you came this close to finishing and when you got this close to finishing, you went back. So for a moment, I thought, wow, that's kind of... Then I said, I think I'll feel okay. <laughs> Insight here is that if we work through all six of those things that I've just taught over the last six weeks, at the end of the day, though, in order to go forward it's going to require some surrendering and many of us are kind of like I was when we get to that place we're like mm, I'm not going forward as I think about this text it strikes me that Jesus is about to bungee jump he's never been dead before he doesn't understand the experience of death it's foreign to him it's a place where there is no control that he's going to have uh, John reminds us that he's the very definition of life from all eternity he has always existed and now here he is at the point of the, of the standing on the stage if you will and he's now got to contemplate do I jump into the abyss of the unknown called death? And yet for Jesus, the only way for him to have gone forward was to jump. Well, I said to the girl, no, I'm, 
I'm going to go back. And she said to me, watch this, low blow, watch what she says. She says, well, what about your faith? <laughs> now, let me just be honest with you. <laughs> I, I didn't say this, but this is, what, like, this is what I was thinking, like, you must be a Christian. Only a Christian standing up 80 feet high. Come on now. Talking about jumping, talking about where's your faith? Where's your common sense? Come on now. <laughs> Shoot. Faith. <laughs> so faith. It strikes me. Since I'm a follower of Jesus. That Jesus actually has to exercise enormous mind-bending faith. It was the only way to go forward. Faith. A couple of insights come to my mind as I as I think about the story and and think about this passage, uh, this notion of faith. Everybody shout faith. faith. Faith when it comes to surrendering, giving of control. And uh, the, the insight that, that jumps out at me is that to give up control, to surrender in that moment, meant that Jesus had to recognize that he had done all that he could do. See, with the splitting of the curtain, it meant that his work was finished. And despite the fact that he had done all that he could do, there was still some unresolved stuff that he just couldn't touch. And then an insight comes to me from that, from that point. Here's the insight. You know, surrender does not always mean giving up on every battle. It does not always mean totally quitting in the, within the, the face of life. Sometimes surrender means giving up on fighting battles that are not yours to fight. Not yours to fight. It's the inside. You see, Jesus had done all that he could do. And yet, there were tons of folk at the foot of the cross who still didn't believe in him. He had done all that he could do. Fed hungry people, raised the dead, cast out demons. And yet... There were people in his own religious group that rejected him. He had done all that he could do. And yet one of the criminals dying on one side of him uh, in the face of the glory of his forgiveness totally disbelieved and rejected him. And Jesus concludes here, you know, there are some battles that are just not mine. I've done all I can do. Tell the person next to you, it's okay 
to do all that you can do. Tell him. Say, say, and one more thing. Then let go. When you've done all you can do, then it's time to let go. Listen, there are some people, there are some broken people that you cannot fix. There are some wounded people that you cannot heal. There are some circumstances that despite your money and your influence and your, and your power or your pedigree or your political position, you cannot impact. Jesus recognized the limits. He says, I've done all I can do. It's now time to go forward. So part of surrender is this notion of realizing there are some battles are not mine to win. The second insight that comes as I think about this is uh, that in order to go forward, shout go forward, you ultimately have to believe in something or someone bigger and greater than you. Now, the woman, she got my attention with the low blow faith comment. She didn't even know I was a preacher. And you know I wasn't going to tell her. <laughs> I would have told her what church I go to. <laughs> but she got my attention. What about your faith? So then I had a look. I said, well, let's talk about this. I said, how do you know this thing will hold me? She said, well, because... We've been using it all day long. <laughs> and we haven't lost one person yet. <laughs> By the way, Lauren is on the ground and said, Daddy, jump! <laughs> She's okay. <laughs> so I had to make a decision. I said, well, I had to, in a sense, trust the character that has been uh, uh, lived out again and again and again and again. All right. Everybody say acceptance. acceptance. I want to go back just one minute to this point. Well, I told you when you when you fought, when you've done all you can do, you have to be able to let go. Built into that is this notion of acceptance. You, you have to be able to accept what's real. Inside story, and I'll come back to this in a moment. Just being up on the tree, just a moment. I, one of my greatest lessons as a pastor came to me about 15, 15 years ago or so. Roxbury Press, and I was about five years in, young pastor. We had seen God do some amazing healing miracles. There's a 
young woman who was this close. She had a, contracted a virus. It got into her heart. She was literally this close to death. We prayed for 24 hours. She recovered until this day, at least the last time I checked. Boston Medical Center still does not have an explanation for her healing. And whenever she'd come back, she's a wonderful young woman now, works in D.C. She'd come back, we would celebrate that's miraculous healing. There was another young man whose mother called me and said, if you could just get up here as quickly as possible. They said he's got three hours to live. And I got up there, and the doctor had convened the family, and so I said, well, you checked in with the doctor. Did anybody check in with Jesus? <laughs> so I spent, we spent the night there praying. The next day, uh, the doctors were short, sh- shocked at the recovery. Five days later, he walked his mom to the elevator. Another week, he, was, he exited the hospital. He literally lived five more years past that point. I've seen God miraculous healing. So, in this particular case, there was this young man who's about in his early 20s. His mom was one of our elders and uh, had been a part of those miraculous healings. And he had contracted this virus that the doctors could not isolate or identify. And at the end of the day, the doctors had to conclude, we can't keep him alive. He's died. And so, me and his mom and others, we were praying and that God would work a miracle. And I'll never forget this. One night I was there and I was in the waiting room by myself and I was on my knees and I was praying. And the nurse came in. She was angry. She says, you're the pastor, right? Why don't you tell that mother that her son is dying so that she can maximize this moment? And I was polite to her, but inwardly I was thinking, who are you to say what God can or cannot do? A day later, the son told his mother he had a dream that he had died. But don't worry that the end was a great ending. He was going to a wonderful place. The mother told me, and said, we're going to keep believing God for the impossible. Another few days, and he died. Out of that experience, I learned a basic lesson of pastoring. I learned that while pastoring means that it's my job to help people to believe in a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than they can ask or imagine, it is also my job to help people to discern when that God has decided not to do it. See, here's the point. If we can figure out what battles are not ours to fight, then we can figure out what are the battles that we should be fighting. Right? And so now, as I work with people over the years, I've adjusted my approach. I say to people, believe God for the impossible. But I also try to equip people 
for the possibility of God saying no. Especially folk who are terminal. By the way, how many in here is terminal? All of you should be raising your hand. <laughs> We're all terminal. <laughs> I just realized this. I, I think I was in Dallas. I was on a train. And one of them trains in the airport. And they said, you know, you're going to Terminal 1, Terminal 2, Terminal 3. And they just kept, and I said, wow, we all going to a terminal. <laughs> Tell the person next to you, I'm terminal. I just found that out. Tell them. <laughs> we don't know what kind of time we got, but we know we all going to die. I promise you, 100, 150 years from here, none of us will be here. So, if I've realized that I'm dying, there's a point where it behooves me after I've believed God for the impossible, it behooves me if I discern that God is saying no, okay, now let me begin to accept it. And as I begin to accept it, now I shift my focus. And as I shift my focus, now I begin to maximize my time. Come on. I, I, I begin to work on relationships. I want people to know how much I love them. I, 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 I kind of hang out some places that I always wanted to hang out. I eat some food that I always wanted to eat. Come on. I, in other words, I, I, I realize my time may be short. So here's my pastoral counsel. I always tell the people. I say, first of all, uh, uh, Live until you die. Don't die before your time. In other words, don't just give up and die. No. Every day that you wake up, realize you've already outlived somebody who died last night. And some of them are older, some of them are younger. So you give God thanks for that day. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to maximize this day. It's a gift from God. And by the way, since we're all terminal, wouldn't it be helpful if we all live like this? I'm going to maximize whatever strength I have. I'm going to use it. Here's, here's a little insight. The same God who is the Lord of the yes is the same God who's the Lord of the no. And if I take scripture for what it's worth, when God says no, even his no's are working towards victory. It's working towards my good. Uh, that, 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 that even if he, he somebody, I wonder, if he calls me home tomorrow, that, that the no, that, that he does so much with the no. And with God, no, listen now, no, no can stand forever. Because he gets to have the last word. And all of his no's end in life. That was Jesus on the cross. He'd got no from the Father. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup pass. He'd got no. He'd got silence. And so here he is. Is there a deliverance? And the answer is no. Well, how do I go forward? Surrender. Accept, watch this, and trust. So she told me, 
about the faith thing. And so I said, well, how do I know I can trust this? She said, well, we've been working all day long. I had to determine then that there was something about the character and the capacity of that harness thing that was stronger and greater than me. So I had to stop trusting in what I could do because I wasn't going to walk off that thing. (laughs) But if I would move forward, if I was going to move forward, I had to believe that there was something greater, stronger in that in that harness day. And, 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 and in fact, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, Father, you, you're greater. You've got one foot in time and another foot in eternity. You've got life and death covered. So I'm going to entrust, y'all, listen, I'm entrusting my life, my soul in your hands. You've got to believe in somebody's greater with a greater purpose. All right, all right. Everybody shout, greater purpose. Even his nose works in a certain way. Listen, two things you can know about God. One is that if inside of his purpose, love is never wasted. Two, inside of his purpose, pain is never wasted. Prove it. Romans uh, 8.28 For God causes everything to work together. It does not say God causes everything, does it? God causes everything what? To work together for the good. That's, the, that's pain, that's joy, all of it. For who? For those who love the Lord. See, you can't waste your love. And who are called according to his what? Purpose. His greater purpose. Even his nose are working towards his purpose. Trust him. So your love is not wasted. And your pain is not wasted. Here's what Isaiah said about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. And, 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 and by him choosing to go forward, he could do it because he knew that his love and his pain would become a part of our redemption. God doesn't waste anything so I had to believe in something stronger than me and then you have to in order to move forward everybody shout move forward talking about to surrender you have to expect something far better you have to expect something this is Jesus when he says, Father, into your hands I entrust you, my spirit. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, uh, it's like a child uh, who, who, who comes across $5 and, and, they, and they give you the $5 and say, hold it, because if I keep it, I'm going to lose it. But, but, but I want you to keep it because when we get home, I expect you to give it back to me. Right? So he's entrusting it, his life, his soul to the Father because he expects to get it back. He expects that, that he's going to end in victory. He expects that he's going to end in the eternal glory of the Father. He expects that, that, that he's going to end back up on the throne. He expects something better. 
Tell the person next to you, in order to, work forward, to walk forward, you should expect something better. Tell them. From God. So the woman said, here's what I'm going to do. She said, so all you have to do is just walk to the edge and just step. And I said, you just want me to walk to the edge and step? <laughs> she says, yeah. She said, I'll help you. She said, I'll count. I'll count one, two, three, and I'm going to say jump. And I say, one, two, three, then you jump. She says, okay. I said, okay. So she said, one, two, three, jump. But I was still there. <laughs> Everybody say, expect something far greater. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here's one of my favorite stories. I got my daughter here. Here's one of my favorite stories about her. When, I was, when we lived in Woburn, Massachusetts, we had this big old house. And, and um, you know, you can't own a big house out here, by the way. <laughs> anyway, we live. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, we had this nice big house and the porch, and, and it had a baluster on it. One time I said to her, she's on the banister, and I'm down on the ground. And I said to her, jump. And, and it was, you know, given her size, it's kind of like jumping on, bungee jumping. But she, she had a gleam in her eye, excitement on her face. She never hesitated. Landed in my arms. I picked her up, wrapped her, hugged her, kissed on her. Upon reflection, <laughs> I used to think that when Lauren would jump in my arm, I used to do the same thing with John, that it was the thrill of the jump that encouraged her. As I watched her grow up, she's got a lot of my stuff in her. And she does like to jump. But upon reflection, what I actually think is, it might have been somewhat the thrill of the jump. But really what sold the jump for Lord was the thrill of the catch. Because what can compare to jumping in fathers in daddy's arms? Who's going to pick you up and, and hug you and kiss on you? And, and, uh, in other words, you're just jumping into an arm full of love. It wasn't the thrill of the jump. It was the thrill of the catch. Something far better, y'all. Uh, when you read Luke, you know, uh, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And I, I think there's some insight here you have to catch. I, I mentioned this in Acts chapter 7 a few weeks ago. I told you that Luke records the, uh, the stoning of Stephen's, the, one of the first deacons. And, and when Stephen is being stoned, the text says 
that there's a window in heaven that opens. And he sees Jesus stand up on the right side of uh, that. That must have been pretty. In other words, I like to say Jesus gave him a standing ovation, y'all. He stood up. And, and, and because of that, because of what he saw, come on now, he could ask for forgiveness. And he got ready for the thrill of the catch. I think Luke is trying to clue us in. He doesn't fill in the blanks. But when you know Luke, come on now, and the Holy Spirit at work. See, when, when Jesus said, Father, with a megaphone into your hands, I entrust my spirit. I believe one moment he looked at the abyss of darkness called death. But then he just kept looking. And he saw the incredible arms of his father. And when it says, and it says, and into your hands I entrust my spirit. Then it said, with those words, he breathed his last. That meant Jesus. And the same arms of love that caught Jesus would he jump because Romans 8 29 says that he is the first fruit of many brothers and sisters are the same arms of love that's waiting to catch us when we jump when we surrender you know what happened I'll give you a little preview it's called a sneak preview tell the person next to you here's a sneak preview we'll go into it on Sunday don't miss it but he jumps and you can see him he's falling the way I was he's falling day one he's death day two death day three but early early Sunday morning that's the first day of the week for the Jewish calendar early Sunday morning he hits Boom. And then the mercy and the grace and the character of God the Father pulls him back up. So the girl said to me, let's try it again. <laughs> See, there comes a time when you just have to believe it and jump. So she said, watch it. She said, I'm going to count. And you jump. She said, now get right up to the edge. I got right to the edge. She said, okay. Okay. She said, one, two, three. And then she said, Poof. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> and I thought, I thought, then I think it is a boom. And I said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You called me, you called me, you called me, you called me. I'm, I'm finished with this point. Let me let you in on a little secret. Sometimes God will allow life come unglued because it's just the pushing to surrender thank God 
All right, now listen. We'll give you instructions here. The praise team is going to come on out. Come on out. Y'all get ready to sing. I want you to do three things. I want you to do three things. The first thing I want you to do is when they start to sing, don't jump up and start worshiping. I want you to just hold your seat. And in the background of the music, I want you to reflect. What is it that you need to surrender? What battles you're fighting that's not yours to win? I want you to look at the connection card while they're singing. I want you to look at the first of it because it says you can trust Jesus. It says you can be baptized and join a small group. Is it time for you to jump? Do one of those things you've been hanging out with us for a while. You've been scared to give control of your life over. Maybe today you need to jump. And as they're singing, maybe you should just check. Flip the card over. If you look at the response to the message, I want you to kind of do that. And while they're singing, I want you to think about the song. I'm going to tell you what the response is first. His response. I hope that you're able to write, Lord, I will trust and surrender. Because you've already thought about what you're surrendering. So that's what you're speaking to. And if surrender is too big of a word, just say, Lord, I will trust and jump. And then the third thing I want you to do is that I want you then to turn this card in. Now, I want you to turn this card in. They're going to gather it. Don't walk out if you're ready to make this commitment. And that is, uh, I want you to turn this card in. If you're committed to inviting several people to come and experience the power of Jesus expressed in this unique community next week. I just, you, you may have already gotten commitments. You need to go back and get, but you say, I'm in with that. You're turning in your card is your commitment to us. You're, you're saying, count on me. Those are three things I want you to do. Now, as they get ready, put the prayer up. Here's how we're going to end. We're going to end praying this prayer. It's the serenity prayer. Most people know the first part, which is about serenity, courage, and wisdom. But they don't know the second part, which is about faith, trust, and acceptance. I'm going to challenge you to pull this up on the web. Pray this through the week. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. Wisdom to know. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever. Can you shout amen? Amen. Hug two or three people on your way out. God bless you.